We'll be reading from Luke 2, verse 22 through 38. You have a copy of that in your bulletin if you'd like to follow along. Luke 2, 22 to 38. When the time came of their purification according to the law of Moses had been completed, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory to your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. As we move from the Christmas story, we see the shepherds have gone back to their sheep and Joseph and Mary back to Nazareth. We can imagine Joseph putting up with irate customers in the carpenter shop while Mary was washing diapers. The glamour is gone. Life is back to normal. Kind of like this week and next week, right? We pick up Luke's narrative with Mary and Joseph going through the ritual activities. You see, a firstborn son was to be presented to God 
one month after birth. The ceremony included buying back or redeeming the child from God through an offering. This way, the parents acknowledged that the child belonged to God, who alone has the power to give life. For 40 days after the birth of a son, and 80 days after the birth of a daughter, the mother was ceremoniously unclean and could not enter the temple. At the end of her time of separation, the parents were to bring a lamb for a burnt offering and a dove or pigeon for a sin offering. If a lamb was too expensive, the parents could bring a second dove or pigeon instead. And this is what Joseph and Mary did. Jesus was God's son, but his family carried out these ceremonies according to God's law. Jesus wasn't born above the law. Instead, he fulfilled it perfectly. In the temple, they met two Jewish prophets, Simeon and Anna. The Holy Spirit was upon Simeon, and he recognized this baby and his importance for both Israel and the Gentiles. No angels appeared this time, as they did to Zacharias, to Mary, and to the shepherds. No, this revelation came through a faithful believer, just and devout, who had been given a special revelation to make the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies clear. I'm sure this encounter astonished Mary and Joseph, and they had a further sign from God in the person of Anna. She was 84. She was a widow and was in the temple night and day. She probably lived in a little house nearby or even on the premises because of her unusual status as a prophetess. Part of Simeon's prophecy must have been a great shock to Mary and Joseph. You see, for thousands of years, the Jews had expected a Messiah who would deliver Israel only. No one had expected the Messiah to be for all people. Simeon said that this light, this salvation was not just for the Jews. It was for all. Then he added that not all will be blessed. Many in Israel will fall because of Jesus. Simeon and Anna were true prophets. They weren't prophets in the sense of fortune-telling. No, prophecy is forth-telling. You speak forth for God to a person or nation about their unrighteousness and about those things that they might do to be more faithful or obedient. The true prophet speaks to us about our sins, our false values, and our unloving behavior. Here's a poem written by an anonymous modern-day prophet. I was hungry and you formed a humanities club and discussed my hunger. Thank you very much. I was naked and in your mind you debated the morality of my appearance. 
I was lonely, and you left me alone to pray for me. You seem so holy, so close to God, but I'm still very hungry, lonely, and cold. The prophets usually have hard words for us. Words we prefer to think are meant for someone else. It's like tithing, you know, we're trusting someone else to follow the words of the prophets. I think one of the most important lessons in this scripture is that we must live in hope. Simeon and Anna lived in hope. Actually, all of us are living in hope of some kind, although sometimes it's a false hope. But Simeon and Anna had something else. They had prayer. For the past 400 years, God had been silent. He didn't speak through any prophet until he promised Simeon that he wouldn't experience death until he had the promised Messiah. It was through God's silence that Simeon and Anna had faith. How about your prayers? You seem to be talking only to yourself when you pray? In the magazine Discipleship Journal, Timothy Jones writes that prayer can be summarized in a single word, silence. Many times when we pray, there's no immediate response, or it may seem that way. Over the years, I've learned something about God's silence, and that the answer already may be on the way. So we have to trust. Now back in Jerusalem, hundreds of worshipers came to the temple that day, yet only Simeon and Anna recognized the young Messiah. How were they able to see the presence of God in this baby? Perhaps it was because they learned to embrace the apparent silence of God, not with anger or impatience, but with expectant stillness. They anticipated God's future response while rejoicing in their present circumstances. Luke 2 verse 37 tells us, they served God with fasting and prayers night and day. Now, I know this would be hard for all of us to do and still make a living, but it's through the silence in our lives that we become aware of our deepest needs, and in the depths of our stillness that we find the space to recognize God's answers when they do arrive. Verse 29 through 32 are known as Simeon's Psalm, and it gives us a glimpse of Simeon's extraordinary faith. Verse 30, for my eyes have seen your salvation referring to the one who would redeem his people from their sins. Verse 31, which you have prepared in the sight of all people. And 32, a light for revelation to the Gentiles as well as Israel. Verse 34, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel. To those who reject him, he's a stone of stumbling. Those who receive him are raised up. 
And to be a sign spoken against refers to the verbal insults hurled at Christ as well as his rejection, hatred, and crucifixion. And verse 35, so that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. This means the rejection of the Messiah would reveal the truth about the sinful state of the Jews. While Joseph and Mary were sacrificing their turtle doves, Simeon addressed Mary directly, warning her that a sword would pierce her soul, which referred to the day when she would watch her own son die in agony. I wonder if she remembered at this moment the angel's greeting, Blessed are you among women. Probably not. Many of us have learned that poverty is a relative thing. Mary and Joseph had very little. But on the other hand, they had everything. They had great joy along with pain and sorrow. But I'm sure that their spiritual lives at this point were growing deep. The angel spoke only of joy. And you may even say that life is bittersweet. But think about your life and compare it to the parable of the sower in Matthew 13. Remember the sower broadcast the seed and it landed on four different kinds of soil. The busy path, the rocky places with shallow soil, the thorns that choked out the plant, and finally the good soil where the plants could develop deep roots. Compare the seeds to the spiritual opportunities that you've had in your life. Like the path, you were so busy and your spiritual life was rushed with limited time for devotions and prayer. The rocky places when an unwanted career change happened, unemployment, a surprise diagnosis from the doctor or a sick child, these are the times when prayer life grows and we're focused on the important things of life. But soon, things are back to normal and the daily grind chokes out those young spiritual roots. The thorns enter our lives when the world chokes out our spiritual progress, like wrong motivations, depression, all those good intentions or New Year's resolutions that never seem to make a difference. And spiritual things become just one more thing in our very busy lives. The good soil, now that's our goal, isn't it? Perfect husband, perfect wife, perfect children, and perfect life with family ties growing our spiritual roots deep. But we can grow spiritually in all situations. And we can grow spiritually through prayer. But just as Simeon predicted, Mary was to have a great deal of pain. Joseph died young and didn't live along long enough to endure the suffering. But her son was crucified and many of his disciples persecuted and martyred. Victor Frankl author of Man's Search for Meaning, tells about a patient, 
a medical doctor who was unconsolable because of his wife's death. He couldn't stop grieving. After many sessions, Frankel had the wisdom to say, Doctor, what if you had died and your wife had lived? Oh, he said, she would have been decimated. She was entirely dependent upon me. Well, then don't you see, explained Frankel, your grief is the price you must pay for sparing her such suffering. And with this, his patient found meaning in his suffering. And the lesson to us who live long and love deeply is that ultimately we will suffer, whether we find meaning in it or not. As the saying goes, if you love the world long enough, it will one day break your heart. Simeon, the prophet, standing in the midst of the temple, predicted that this baby would divide the people who built and loved that very temple. He saw the ultimate rift between Jesus and the religious Jews because Jesus did and does come to divide, doesn't he? He comes to do a new thing in our lives. And the Jewish traditionalists, those who supported the past, who insisted on maintaining business as usual, understood why this troublemaker had to be done and away with. Paul tells us in Galatians 4, verse 6, that God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts. The designation Spirit of His Son isn't found anywhere else in the New Testament. Paul's telling us that God sent His Son to redeem us from our life of sin and then adopt us as sons and daughters. He wants to empower us for a life of free and joyous sonship. And remember this, our relationship implies more than status. It means that we share the life of the Father. Maybe Paul was remembering Jesus' story of the prodigal. The distinction between the elder and the younger son must have come into his mind. Both had the status of sons after the prodigal's return. But the elder had only the status. He refused to enter into the life of the father and wouldn't even share the joy of a welcome home party. He kept acting like a servant, having a them-and-us attitude. Though the father wanted him to be a son, and that's why the father refused to accept the pleas of the prodigal when he said, make me a hired servant, because he wanted that relationship. It's a joyful day in our lives when we receive the spirit of the son and begin the free and glad life of sharing intimately with the father. And what do we learn from all this as we begin a new year? Well, three things. We see what this does to our prayer life. We don't need to come groveling to the Almighty. We don't come as beggars who have no right to be there. No, we come as children of the King, knowing that we are welcome. Abba means Daddy, and this describes our relationship a shared love and fellowship 
which the Father pours out all his blessings upon his children, and we are his children. And we pray in that knowledge with a childlike anticipation of receiving all the Father has for us. Number two, we see what this does to our sense of self-worth. William Glasser, known as the father of reality therapy, tells us that we have two basic needs in life. The need to love and be loved, and the need to feel worthwhile to oneself and others. It's difficult for us to accept ourselves, isn't it? But it's a time of overwhelming grace when we accept the fact that God knows us and loves us thoroughly. To know that we are loved and accepted by God frees and empowers us to love ourselves and others and to know that we are worthwhile. And finally, we see what this does to our ministry. All of us are ministers, servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. But how often it's a burden we bear rather than a joy to celebrate. We do what we do out of duty rather than freely and spontaneously. When we accept and realize our relationship with the Father as sons and daughters, we discover that we don't operate alone. Strength comes directly from God and indirectly through the shared strength of the Christian community. That's us. So today, at the beginning of a new year, we need to be more like Simeon and Anna. We must not only live in hope and prayer, but we must take the next step and be empowered by the Holy Spirit and share the life of the Father. It's not a religion. It's a relationship. Shall we pray? Thank you, Father, for allowing us to finish another year in our lives and to know that through prayer, We can live in hope as we welcome in a new year. Thank you that we can walk with you daily in a loving relationship. Amen.